Okay, great news. This is amazing. You're not going to believe this. You're waiting. Many of you had this experience before. Somebody burst into the room. Great news. You're not going to believe this. This is exciting. And if they pause, you're like, yeah, tell, tell me more. Or maybe they continue. Oh, you, this, is, this is amazing. This is stupendous. You're, you're going to be so excited. You're like, yeah, just tell me what it is. And then if you finally get the news, you're like, oh, yes. Because now you're full of knowledge. You know what it is that's praiseworthy or that's great. And you join in. Yes, that's fantastic. Good for you or good for us, depending on what the news is. Well, we're in Psalms 111. And this is the way that the Psalter bursts into the room. Hallelujah. Remember, this word means praise the Lord. So he jumps right into the psalm. Praise the Lord. And we're supposed to be waiting. Why? For what? And so he runs into the room this way. Then he's going to fill our minds with why we should be praising the Lord. And then we'll join him at the end. That's what he's doing right here. And that's what we get to do right here today. So Father, thank you as we open your word. And the psalmist helps us to burst in to your presence together as a church family with these words, hallelujah, praise Yah, praise the Lord. We get to be together and exalt your name. And so as the psalmist pours into our head more reasons why you're praiseworthy, may we absorb them and then be able to genuinely reflect them back to you tonight. Amen. So before he even explains himself or gives a description, the psalmist brings forth, bursts out with praise. Again, we've been talking about this. Three of, two of the three psalms that we've already been in have been acrostic form, and this is similar. He starts with the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet, and for every one of those letters, he's got a He's got an instance of praise. And really what he's saying in both word and structure is, the Lord is worthy of praise from A to Z, from beginning to end, from Alpha to Omega. The Lord's worthy of praise. But before he even gets to the why, he simply states his intentions, verse 1. And then we jump into the acrostic for the rest of the passage. And he says this, Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord. With my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. So this Psalter proclaims wholehearted commitment to praising the Lord. And this is not half-hearted Hobby Lobby praise, right? This is full-personed, whole-being, all-in declaration of God's goodness. That's what he's saying. The Lord and his works deserve nothing less. Spurgeon says, you cannot worship the Lord unless it's with your whole heart. He deserves all of it. 
So the psalmist will appropriately and in ample proportions, my whole being, I'm going to praise the Lord. And he says that he's going to do that whether he is in the company or the word is assembly. Which means kind of like our small groups. So the assembly is a kind of the smaller group or the company, kind of like a group of friends. So whether it's in a small group, I'm going to praise the Lord. Or, he says, in the company of the upright or in the congregation. That's a large group gathering, kind of like the one we're in right now. Either way, both size gatherings, the psalmist says, I'm going to give thanks to the Lord. So today we're in this congregation type setting. I want to join the Psalter for a minute. Now I sent out a thing to the men's workshop just saying, hey guys, I want you to be thinking about this with your family. Some reasons you have for giving thanks to the Lord as I'm looking out. We've got a lot of people gone at this funeral, right? But nonetheless, I would just like to take a quick minute. We don't want to, I'm not going to linger long. But for some of you, just to say, the Lord is great, I'm going to praise Him. And so you might just say, I have just been considering the greatness of my salvation. Praise the Lord. That quick. So anybody have anything that they want to join the Psalter with before, just like he did, before he's even getting ready, before he's even explaining, praise the Lord. I'm thankful for this. Does anybody have anything they want to give praise to the Lord for today? A couple weeks ago, David says, He saves me from all my troubles. He's always with us. Great. Well, today we get to hear what the psalmist has to say. He's going to, these things stir us up, but he's going to continue to fill our minds. So the rest of this psalm can be broken into four parts and each part kind of builds on itself like a crescendo to an ultimate conclusion. So you'll see if your notes, if you have some, the first part, the Psalter declares that these works that the Lord does are great. They're fantastic. Secondly, he says that these great and fantastic works that he has just described, that the Lord has done, he causes us to remember those good works. And then the third thing the Psalter says is that these great works that he causes us to remember have all been done in faithfulness and justice. And then the fourth part is the Psalter says that these great works that he causes us to remember that have all been done in faithfulness and justice are all aimed to one event His glory through our redemption. And so then we get to verse 10. We're going to see that the Psalter ends by proclaiming that those who believe what he has just said, those he he uses the phrase, fear the Lord. In other words, these things are true and the absence of them cause me great trembling. Like I fear not being in the Lord's presence. But these things being true, an acknowledgement of the Lord's person and his presence and his truth, 
these people that believe this have entered into an inheritance of wisdom and understanding that goes beyond our years. You with me? And that actually sets us up for Psalm 112, which is what we're going to jump into next week. But then finally, he closes the book, this psalm, the same way he started. But the, but the praise is going to be even more full because he's filled our hearts and minds with the reasons that the Lord is worthy of praise. And so he ends with, his praise endures forever. So that's an overview of this psalm. Now we're going to jump in and pick up some detail for our encouragement and application. Okay, we ready? Awesome. First, the Psalter declares the greatness of the Lord's works. He says this, Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in Him. Verse 3, Full of splendor and majesty is His work, and His righteousness endures forever. Great are the works of the Lord, and they're studied That word studied means to make diligent inquiry. It's researching in a sense of excitement and anticipation and delight. And to be frequented. They keep coming back and coming back. So over the door of the Cavendish Science Laboratory in England, named after um, a famous English chemist named Sir Henry Cavendish, but over the door, before you enter into the laboratory, is in stone stamped the proclamation of verse 2. Great are the works of the Lord, and they are pondered by all who delight in them. The Lord's works are great, and we are going to study them. By the way, this is the foundation of science, whether culture wants to believe it or not. These things are amazing, and in discovering the amazing detail, the intricacies of creation, we are going to expand our understanding of who God is. The idea that's captured in both science, but even more importantly here in the psalmist ordained words, are this reality, that the more one gazes, the more one will see. So this joyful, delightful sense of awe that you're researching and you're making diligent inquiry and you're frequenting it, you're coming back to it. The more you gaze, the more you will see. Church, the more we look into the greatness of the Lord, the more we will see. It builds on itself. I don't know if, like me, you have caught yourself focusing on all the things the Lord is not doing. Have you ever done that? I feel like he's not answering this prayer and that thing, and this is going wrong, and that's going bad, and this is that builds on itself, doesn't it? The good news is about that. God has built in, that's kind of like a stop engine light. He's built in this thing that that always breaks, doesn't it? The Lord's not doing this and that, and this bad thing's happening and that, and ultimately that baby overheats and seizes up because <laughs> you realize, I can't keep doing this forever. This doesn't work. But likewise, church, the more we gaze upon the greatness of the Lord, the more we frequent 
his goodness and his great works, it builds on itself. The more you gaze, the more you will see. And this is not a huge self-improvement project. This is simply a matter of shifting your mind. I've caught myself thinking this way. I'm going to shift my thinking right now. And I'm going to start thinking this way. You can do this without moving. We can apply this passage while you're hovering over a sink full of dishes. Or a car with engine grease everywhere that's broken. Or something else in your yard that is wrong. Or you're laboring over a child who is sick. You can shift your mind without moving. And the psalmist invites us to do that. Great are the works of the Lord. And they're studied by all of those who take pleasure in them. And by the way, while we're hovering over a sink or a car engine or whatever it is we may be doing, and we shift our mind to these great works of the Lord, that's called worship. You can do it everywhere. Because great are the works of the Lord. And the more you gaze, the more you'll see. By the way, this is linked to the end of the passage in verse 10 when he says, praise endures forever. What he's saying is, worship begats worship. Worship gives birth to more worship. Great are the works of the Lord, and when you study them, you see. And the more you see, and then the more you apply yourself to diligently, frequently frequently them and studying them, the more His greatness increases. Worship begats worship. Now secondly, the Psalter says that the Lord has caused His great works to be remembered. Verses 4-6. through He has caused His wondrous works to be remembered. If you're taking notes or you've got your Bible open, I would encourage you to circle this word cause and remember. The Lord has caused His wondrous works To be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who feed, fear Him. He remembers His covenant forever. He has shown His people the power of His works in giving them the inheritance of the nation. Look at these action words in this passage of what the Lord is doing. He has caused, He provides. He remembers, He has shown, He has given. All of this activity is the Lord causing us to be remembered of His great works. Do you know why you have enough food? It's not because you earned it. It's because the Lord is reminding you of His great goodness to you, church. We have stuff that other people don't have. You know what that is? It's his reminder about how good he is. He's causing us to remember his graciousness, his kindness, his wondrous works. And in Romans 1.19, Paul agrees, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. 
His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. Why? Because God is constantly putting on his, his attributes on display and reminding us of his redemptive power. It's true. And that is so powerful, and he's working so hard on that. Romans also tells us to ignore that you actually have to willfully suppress the truth. You have to be able to see the things going on in the universe, and you have to do mental gymnastics not to believe that there's a living God who loves you and who's pursuing you. Watch the news. You see it happening all the time out there but not for nothing church we do it in here too so let's not get too big on judging out there when we realize how often we find ourselves grumbling and complaining in our own spirits when god has been so kind to us true he is working hard to remind us and we have to i found myself doing this this week we have to Work at not seeing his redemptive power. It's true. And we're going to see this a little bit more clearly in a minute. But he ends this psalm and it says, He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nation. This power that he's working and he's putting on display and he's causing us to remember is aimed, it ultimately lands in redemption. It's what this giving us the inheritance of the nations. What that means is that God is giving us this unbelievable hope when all the nations will gather together in a roar of praise and you will find your voice drowned out in this amazing yell of praise with people from every nation, tribe, and tongue, and we will receive the inheritance of the nations. It is Christ Jesus on the throne. And everybody recognizing him all at once. We recognize him now. There will come a time when all nations, all together, will recognize Christ. That is the inheritance. The inheritance of the nations. Third, the Psalter says that these great works that he's causing us to remember have all been done in faithfulness and justice. Verse 7 and 8. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. So these great works of the Lord have been carried out faithfully and accurately with justice. In other words, God has never not treated you the exact way that it accords with his love. Now you and I might misinterpret what that love looks like. You might not like his love. You might not like the way he spanks you, but he never has ever dealt with you in anything less than faithfulness and justice. Justice means the right way without impartiality. He never acts incongruently 
with his character or his word. This should cause us to almost immediately say, we see that perfectly in Christ. And the way that the Lord has executed justice, the manner in which he has got from the beginning of time to right now, and his faithfulness is the way he will do it in the future. He's faithful. And so therefore the psalmist says, his words are established forever. He'll always do it this way. Not only has he been faithful and just, he will be faithful and just. So his precepts are trustworthy. He is not a moving target. He's faithful. And he's fair. His words are a done deal. He will always finish what he starts. Faithful and just. And so forth. The the Psalter says that these great works that he causes us to remember, which have been done in faithfulness and justice, have been aimed at redemption. Verse 9. He sent redemption to His people. If you're in a place where you've been struggling or you have struggled and you have wondered if the Lord cares about you, let me validate something today. The Lord has sent His salvation to you. Like a loving father who sees his son in danger and goes and gets him or goes and gets somebody else to go get him, the Lord sends salvation to you. He has not left us alone. Thus again we see most clearly in Christ our redemption and our King. He has sent redemption to His people. He has commanded His covenant forever. The things that He said were true. The document in which He used to link Himself to us in Christ. The blood of Christ. The covenant made through blood. He has commanded that covenant Forever. And then the psalmist says, Holy and awesome is His name. He has sent His redemption. He has commanded His covenant to us. Holy and awesome is His name. Again, these action words of God's activity, sent and commanded. All these great works of the Lord which is He has caused us to remember that have been done in faithfulness and justice. They find their home in our redemption. Holy and awesome is His name. So here's the conclusion. Here's the crescendo. Here's the ending. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And all those who practice it have good understanding. His praise endures forever. Really, in in many ways, what he's saying is this, this fear of the Lord. Believe these words that I'm telling you. Believe the words of the Lord. Fear the absence of His presence. Be Tremble if you don't have salvation or redemption. If you're not one of God's people, it ought to cause you to shake. If you're not in line with His words and His commandments, you ought to live in dread. But those who fear 
the Lord who take consideration of him and believe him with their whole heart. His character and his abilities and his redemptive plan joyfully consumes our minds. Fear the Lord. And the conclusion is that those who fear the Lord have wisdom and those who practice it, meaning practice the fear of the Lord, those who practice fearing the Lord have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. We're going to unpack this wisdom and good understanding as we jump into Psalm 112 because he's really going to unpack what that looks like in the life of a person who fears the Lord. What does the righteousness of Christ look like in our lives? That's Psalms 112. The goodness that is bestowed upon us when we just simply say, Lord, I believe you and not me. We enter into a room full of riches. Full of wisdom that we do not possess on our own. But when we enter into the door of the fear of the Lord, it becomes ours. So here's a summary. The Lord is awesome. His works are great. He causes us to remember those great works. All his great works have been done in faithfulness and justice, and they're aimed at redemption. And when I believe unto action, that's what he says, those who practice it. It's not just, oh, I believe that. When you believe it so much that it moves your feet and your heart, and your mouth, and your mind. When we believe unto action, and we adjust our lives accordingly, when we organize our lives around the good news of Christ being our King and our redemption, we are set in the way of wisdom and good understanding. Wise living, living according to the words of the Lord, produces good fruit, and then we give thanks because it works the way He says it's going to. Worship begets worship. The psalmist will later agree, Psalmist 119, verse 98 through 100, Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. Or Psalm 119.1, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. So here's some applications for us, some things for us to consider. I want to grow in this. I want to apply this to my life. Then here's three things real quick. Gaze upon the work of the Lord and make diligent inquiry of his great activities. The more you gaze, the more you'll see. Turn your mind to his greatness. Secondly, be on the lookout for the Lord's reminders of your redemption because he's doing it all the time. Isn't that good? That helpful? Jesus says in John chapter 5, he's talking to the Pharisees. They're not real happy with him. And they're kind of trying to nitpick and count dill seeds and all this other stuff. And he says, my father is always working. And I'm joining him. 
He causes us to remember. So be on the lookout for His reminders. And then last, enjoy full-personed, whole-beinged, all-in declaration of God's goodness. Whether you're in a small group or whether you're in a big group. You're diligently making inquiry upon the, the works of the Lord. You're applying yourself. You're on the lookout for His reminders that can only result in one thing. Give Him praise, whether you're in little groups or big groups. His praise endures forever. So, happy week of giving thanks, my church family. And may your week be filled with giving praise full, all in, whole personed declaration of God's goodness. Father, thank you for your great kindness to us in providing us your word. And as the Psalter came in, encouraging us to praise the Lord, now he's filled our hearts and our minds with all the more reasons to be diligently and wholeheartedly and joyfully participating in small groups and large with giving thanks to you. Hearts full of greatness, yours. So help us this week as we gather with family, as we walk along the road or stand up or lie down with our children around us. May we be giving thanks and drawing attention to your great works. May we frequent them and fill our minds. May it fill our hearts and our mouths not just this week, although especially so, as we set aside this time as a week, a season of thanks, may we we as those who are your children and who follow you, Lord, help us not to be like thumbing our nose at this holiday, but whatever it is, let us leverage it because we ought to be the most praising people on the planet. If the world's giving thanks, we ought to be giving thanks louder. So may our hearts and our mouths be filled with expressions of gratitude for you, our King of Redemption, Jesus. Amen.